Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it. As I communicated earlier, I am deeply honored um, to be used by God to begin this journey in the book of John. I'm so deeply excited about studying the Word of God together, and uh, very excited too that we're going to be all doing it in the ESV version. We can talk more about the translation later, but um, just so grateful that we're going to be together in that. We are dedicating ourselves together to an entire book of the Bible. And so this is very important that we get some guidance on how to enter the scriptures and know, be taught how to know and follow Jesus through his word. As I have told many of you before, many people are told many messages throughout the world. There's lots of sermons preached and lots of Bible studies held where people are told that they need to change, that they need to become more like Jesus. But so often we're not given directions as to the how. Listen to me. If I bring conviction to you today without application, that means if God somehow speaks through me to convict your heart but doesn't tell you how to follow him, then I have failed. And that only leads to more condemnation in your life. We can hear messages like this. Be a better disciple. Be a better husband. Be a better wife. Be more, a better parent. Be more patient. Be a better witness to Jesus. Be a better lover of Jesus. Be more like Jesus. Spread the gospel more. And yet if we walk away with just these messages, then we're worse off than when we first started. Why? Because now we've been convicted of our need for change, but we haven't been taught how to change. And we just feel worse about ourselves, and then condemnation starts to creep in. Let me say it again. Conviction without application only leads to more condemnation. You see, the scripture is very clear that we're not supposed just to listen to the word and so deceive ourselves, but we're supposed to do what it says. I'm reading from James 1, 22 through 23 now. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks in his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, listen, that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Here we're told a number of things, that God's word is perfect, but that it brings freedom and life. And when we interact with God and his word, we are blessed, not condemned. Listen to 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now listen, can you imagine going through a course of training in some kind of vocational skilled area without ever being told by anyone how to accomplish the task? Pastor Rick Warren, before he began Saddleback Community Church, which I think is a beautiful expression of the kingdom of God, would listen to sermon after sermon. And after the vast majority of these sermons and messages, he would write three little letters in the margins of the message notes that he was taking. 
And here's what they were. Y-B-H. Yes, but how? Okay, I know I'm supposed to do it look like this, but how? How do I change? Some people think that knowing God is all about getting the right doctrine. If we just somehow know the right things, then automatically we'll change. And while I will never underestimate the value of the importance of what we believe in our transformation, we need to apply the word of God to our lives in order to become more like Jesus. We need to have a relationship with him in which we walk with him. We need to know him in his heart and then follow him. This is why Jesus said to the religious people, you scour that book, the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me, for if you did, then I would give you life. See, it's not just about memorizing a bunch of facts or knowing the right things. It's about knowing the one who is the word of God and allowing him to speak and following him by applying his word. The most doctrinal book of the Bible is Romans. And yet Romans is still 50% application. That means that every other book of the Bible is more than 50% application. Galatians, it's almost 100% application. Paul is piping mad at the Galatian church for buying into deceptions that they were hearing from false teachers. And he's filled with instructions on how to live life. Listen, if you're reading the scriptures and your character and life choices are not changing for the better, the problem is not with the word of God. The problem is with how we are using the word of God. So in order to launch the series well through John today, I've decided after counseling with both Pastors Mark and Pastors Ben to give you a little gift of an insert that you can put inside, if you'd like, of your scripture journal. This little insert is located on the tables outside as you leave today. And for those online, there'll be a link that you can click, I believe, on the Facebook or YouTube post, and then also be sending an email out this week. It's called the Devotional Study Form. And you can just, if you'd like, put it inside your scripture journal, and then you can have that as a reference. Now, by the way, I'm not giving this to you as a formula. I'm giving it to you as a reference so that God can use some of the ideas contained in it to guide your time in his word. So let's take a look at the form together. The top of the form, uh, if you journal this way, you can see a place where there's the date and the passage at the top. So say, for instance, we're going to look at a passage in John. One down from those blanks is a very important box. I don't typically encourage people to check boxes, but this box is very important that you check. It says, pray for insight. Have you prayed and ask God for insight before you've actually entered into the word. Now listen to me. In John 15, 5, Jesus says these words. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now remember, this means that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing that has eternal significance. Millions of people tie their shoes every day, to some extent apart from Jesus. But what you cannot do is do anything that will bear fruit. Well, if you want God to change your heart and your life through his word, you have to understand something. You can't do this in your own strength. You can't do this in your own might. You can't think enough or hard enough to change yourself in the word of God. We can't understand the word of God apart from the spirit of God. 
So we have to come before the Lord before we ever enter into the word and pray something like this. Lord, I come before you now and I ask that you would open my eyes, open my heart and open my mind and my ears to your truth and that you would lead me in your ancient paths. I acknowledge my inability to understand your word and my own strength and reasoning and I place myself fully now at your mercy asking that you will guide me in a path of righteousness for your name's sake and for your glory. Jesus, I affirm your deep and abiding love for me. I acknowledge that you are truth and that you long to set me free. I thank you that you love to give good gifts to your children and by your grace and for your glory, I am your son. Show me, Lord, what you want me to see and have your way with me. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Now look, these are my words. They don't need to be your words. I just gave you an example. You might say something like, Jesus, I'm really struggling in my marriage or my finances right now. Guide me. Lord, I don't know how to let you, let you and let go. I don't know how to live and let live. Help me, Lord, to let go. Whatever prayer you pray, listen, pray it sincerely with reverence and awe in your heart and be ready to go on a ride with Jesus. As you meditate on God's word, the next part of this study form shows you some principles that you can adhere to. So here's the first one. Picture it. Listen, when we study the scripture, we don't enter as passive observers on the outside. We enter as active participants. You see, God wants to speak to us just like Jesus spoke to the people he encountered through the book of John. So we have to actually visualize ourselves in the scene. We can pronounce it. That we can say the verse aloud. The spoken word is so incredibly powerful. I don't know if your prayer life is dull, but if it is, can I encourage you to speak your prayers out loud and to pray scriptures out loud? You see, maybe possibly emphasize a different word each time you read through the passage. You can paraphrase it. Rewrite the, words, the verse in your own words. Don't change the meaning, but look at different translations and find the one that speaks most to you. How about personalizing it? Replace the pronouns of people in the verse with your own name. I've done this so often where I had God speak to me through his holy word. Jeff, you are my chosen son, holy and dearly loved. Jeff, I want you to clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, all these virtues put on. See, like this is God speaking to you. Your name is on the page. Personalize it. And then pray it. Turn it into a prayer. Man, these, this is the word of God. Pray it back to God and hear angels rejoice when you pray the word of God. I want to give you a little example I placed on that form there. And I don't know if you can read it. It's kind of small. But I'm just going to read a passage from John 8, 6 through 11. Now I want to set it up because this is when the woman was caught in adultery. You see, this was a woman had given her life over to this sin of adultery and she was caught by the religious people. And so I don't know if you've ever felt caught by religious people. I know you're a sinner, but I hope you know you're a sinner. And I hope you know that the jig is up. But this woman, she was caught and she was brought to shame in front of the whole area. Like this is a group of people. I don't know how large the group was, but it was an angry mob of religious people with rocks. And they brought her before Jesus. Think of yourself as this woman right now. 
what would you be feeling? You've got caught in a shameful, sinful act. You know you've been disobedient to God. The religious people now, they don't want to rub it out. They want to rub it in. They want to kill you. And they're bringing her before Jesus and they're trying to trap Jesus at the same time that they're trying to exploit this woman. And so in verse 6, they challenged Jesus several times and says, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. I love Jesus. Like, that's amazing. Can you imagine what they were thinking? But they kept on questioning him. And at one point he straightened up and he said to them, now listen to these words. Let you who is without sin cast the first stone. Can you imagine, put yourself in that scene. You're that woman, or maybe you're one of those religious people with the rock in your hand. We've all been there, both places. And, and Jesus comes on the scene and he says, hey, if any one of you is perfect, if any of you is without sin, then you go ahead and throw the first stone. Verse eight, again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. Can you place yourself at the scene? You're this woman. Jesus has come and said, hey, you're ready. Your you're head's down and you're ready to get the first rock to hit your head and the blood to start running down your face. And then this dude that you heard about, Jesus, this itinerant rabbi, he's there. And he says one sentence and the whole crowd silences. All you start to hear is the thud of stones hitting the ground. Nobody's talking. They're all walking away, one at a time, with the older ones first. I always love that. I think it's because the older people knew that they were busted. <laughs> so there was no one left. It was just Jesus and this woman. Verse 9, with the woman still standing there, 10, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are your accusers? She looked at him and she said, they are no more, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus said. Go and leave your life of sin. Oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. Do you understand what's happening here? This is the creator of the universe bathing this poor woman in his grace and driving away an angry crowd of accusers and condemning religious people. Can I tell you something? I don't have to encounter a crowd out there. I've got a crowd in here. Anybody with me? I got enough accusing voices right here, but I got some out there too. And can I tell you, Jesus silences them all. Do you understand you're supposed to enter this as one of these characters? Maybe you're the woman. Maybe you're a Pharisee. I think we're all both. But you know what? Picture yourself then as Jesus being incarnated through you. And you get to stand between the crowd and someone who's hurting and bear the, the image of God and show his love and grace to someone else. You see, you're supposed to picture it, pronounce it, paraphrase it, personalize it, pray it back to God, and then you're supposed to probe it. Now look, probe, I'm gonna point out to you this little acrostic, this is probably one of the most bizarre acrostics I've ever run into in my life. It's called Space Pets. 
I thought I was going to bring my uh, little uh, Grogu with me again, the child today, to show you a space pet, just so you'd had a visual, but I forgot him at home. This is an acrostic that Rick Warren came up with, space pet. So it's an S-P-A-C-E-P-E-T-S, space pets. Say that after me, space pets. Okay, so here's what they are. If you go to the S, that's a question you ask about the scripture. Did God reveal to me a sin to confess? So let's stop for a second. You'd say, well, I don't know. I mean, I've never committed adultery. Hmm. Well, Jesus says in the word that if you've taken a man or a woman inappropriately into your mind, you've already been guilty of it. What do you think now? Any sin to confess? How about looking at the Pharisees? I mean, these guys were ready to judge someone who was hurting and who had made a horrible mistake, a horrible decision, committed sin. You ever judge anybody? Maybe there's a sin to confess there. The P is a promise to claim. You see, is the scripture revealing to me one of God's promises that I need to claim and where? What about this one? Neither do I condemn you. I have forgiven you of all your sin. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far I've separated you, your person, from your transgressions. Talk about a promise to claim. Thank you, Lord Jesus. How about an attitude to change? You know, maybe the attitude of this woman before this time was that she just didn't care anymore. But certainly the attitude of judgmentalism and condemnation was on the behalf of the religious people. Maybe that's an attitude you need to change. That's the A. How about a command to keep? Go and sin no more. How about an example to follow? Jesus filled with truth and grace. He speaks to the woman in such kindness. He protects her and loves her, but he speaks the truth to her. That's an example to follow. How about a prayer to pray or an error to avoid or a truth to believe or something to thank God for? You see, this is the Acrostec Space Pets and it is on your little handout. And these tools are meant to help you hear and apply the word of God. So I offer them to you and I encourage you to take what you'd like and just leave the rest. So we enter this story as active participants and by God's grace, we begin to understand who God is and God's heart towards us. Now let me help you understand something. A.W. Tozer said this, the most important thing that a man can say or do is not what he says or does, but what in his deep mind and deep heart he believes God to be like. The most important thing about you is your image of God. When we begin to understand who God is and his heart towards us, then we respond to him very, very differently because we know that he is good and we know that he loves us and we know that his plans for us are to prosper us and not to harm us, plans to give us hope and a future. So we come to know Jesus as John did. You see, in John 1.14, it says that Jesus is God. In John one twenty nine it says Jesus is the Lamb of God. In, in John 1, it says Jesus is the Word of God. In John one forty one it says Jesus is the Messiah. In John 3.29, it says Jesus is the Bridegroom. In John 4.10, it says that Jesus is living water. In John 4.42, it says Jesus is the Savior of the world. In John 6.14, it says Jesus is the prophet. Not a prophet, but the prophet. In John 6.35, it says that Jesus is the bread of life. In John 8.12, it says that Jesus is the light of the world. 
In John 10, verse nine, it says Jesus is the door or the gate. In John 10, 11, it says Jesus is the good shepherd. In John 11, 25, it says Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And in John 14, six, it says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And in John 15, one, it says Jesus is the true vine. Listen, God wants you to know who Jesus is. Because if you know who he is, you will respond like the disciples did when things got tough. You know things got tough at one point. Jesus started talking about eating his body and drinking his blood. People were grossed out and they ran away. And he turned to the disciples and he said, are you gonna leave too? And one of them turned to him and said, where else would we go? You have the words of life. You see, if you come to know Jesus like John knew Jesus when things get tough and when you start questioning him, you'll say, where else am I gonna go, Lord? You are the one who has the words of life and you are everything I desire in my deep being. As we come to know God better, we love him more fully and then we follow him more closely and, and we look more like him and then he is glorified in our lives. So with all this in mind, let's just look a little bit more at the book of John in a way of taking an overview. In the next few minutes, just briefly, I want to look at first the shape of John's gospel, the uniqueness of John's gospel, and the purpose of John's gospel. But before I do that, I have to say something. This word gospel means good news. Now, by the way, I know, like me, you have a committee in your head. And just like me, you have an enemy who wants to lie to you all the time. So just this week, I had a conversation with someone who was buying into deception about what it means to be saved, that somehow you have to do more in order to be saved, or that somehow you have to act a particular way in order for God to love you. Can I tell you something? Those are lies from the pit of hell, and they are not the gospel. Why? Because the gospel means Good news. And can I tell you something? The gospel of Jesus Christ is the best news you will ever hear. So let's take a look at the shape of God's, John's gospel. The shape is 21 chapters in four larger sections. You can look through it in your book as we talk through this here, but there's 21 chapters there, and there's four larger sections. The first largest section is a prologue. That's not very large, it's just 18 verses. But this is so important because this section of scripture has been called the most exalted and sublime Christology in the entire Bible. I'm going to say that again. Oh gosh, this is so beautiful. The most exalted and sublime Christology in the entire Bible. Christology means description of who Christ is. You read those first 18 verses, which I'm going to assign you this week. I want you to read them with reverence and awe, because this is describing who Jesus is. And that's the point of John's book. We'll get there in a few minutes. The next big second is called the Book of Signs, and that's from chapter 119 through 1250. This is a much larger chunk. And this is where the Bible recounts seven signs or miracles that Jesus performs. It starts with the water to wine at the wedding, and then it ends with the raising of Lazarus from the dead. These miracles and signs demonstrate the power, but more importantly, the identity of Jesus Christ. 
Now remember, these signs, each one of them provoke faith in some, but antagonism in others. And you'll see throughout the book of John that people are responding to Jesus one way or the other. They're either falling on their faces and calling him Lord, or they're getting royally ticked off at the work that he is doing. Number seven is very important in the book of John. There's seven signs, but there's also seven parallel I am statements of Jesus. The next big section is the book of glory. That's chapter 13, 1 through 20, 31. And this second major section of John occurs during Jesus' last day in Jerusalem. Last days. Not his last day, but his last days in Jerusalem. This section is referred to as the book of glory because Jesus' saving work, his death, his resurrection, and exaltation, they are all referred to repeatedly as glorification. So we call this section the book of glory. And then the last chapter is called the epilogue. Many people believe this last chapter was added later, but its purpose seems to be to tie up loose end. It includes a miraculous catch of fish, the restoration of Peter, which is so important. And, and I will say to you, one of the most important things that happens in the epilogue is the identification of John himself, the author, as the disciple who Jesus loved. So the, the book itself is very unique. There are many things that make John's gospel unique from the others, but just here's a few. It's the only what we call non-synoptic gospel. What's that mean? Well, it's a fancy word that us religious people use. It means similar. It's, it's a non-similar gospel. When we look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you can actually put them together and track the days in life of Jesus and the events and the things that he does and the teachings he gives. And there is this big harmony of gospels between those three gospels. John's gospel is very different than those three and then it doesn't lie up in the same way. Now it lines up perfectly in terms of the truth that's contained, but it tells the story of Jesus from a different angle. Now listen, more than half of John, and I got this from Pastor Mark this week, is committed to the last week of Jesus's life. More than half of the book of John is committed to the last week of Jesus's life. This is more than any of the other gospels. What makes it unique is one of the things that I just mentioned. John calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. Why? Well, we really don't know. But when we try and put the pieces together, we, we come to this conclusion that John had a deeper awareness of God's love and potentially a deeper level of intimacy with Jesus himself. And because of that, God is speaking through our brother John to help us be intimate with Christ ourselves, to know him more fully. Now John focuses primarily on the identity of Christ. And this is true in all the Gospels, but it's uniquely true to a great extent in John's Gospel. So we've talked about the shape and the uniqueness. Let's talk a little bit about the purpose of John's Gospel. The, the purpose of, a, of any kind of book in the Bible, we can find by doing a number of different studies. But it's so beautiful when the book itself tells us the purpose of the book itself. And in John 20, verses 30 and 31, the very statement there tells us why John wrote his book. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that were not recorded in this book. Stop. Here's the thing. You've got to understand that these Gospels, they communicate very much the life of Jesus, but not the totality of what Jesus did. 
Outside of that, it says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the God, and, and the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. So John tells us right here why. In John 6.35, Jesus says, believe in me and you will never thirst again. You see, this word believe is super important. Jesus says in John 10.10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This word life is super important. If you have these verses in front of you, just circle life and then circle believe. Now, John longs for you to believe in Jesus the way that he believes in him, that you might have life and life to the fullest. Jesus wants more for you than you want for yourself. One of my favorite quotes comes from C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory, and I might butcher it, but I'm going to try it anyway. He says, we're half-hearted creatures fooling about with ambition, sex, and drink when infinite joy is offered us. We're like ignorant children making mud pies in the slums. We don't know what it's like to have the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Listen to me, child of God. God has more for you than you could ever ask or imagine. And he wants you to have life and life to the fullest. If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. So here's the truth. Many of us know Jesus and we've experienced a level of freedom and fullness of life. But guess what? None of us have experienced absolute freedom here on planet Earth. So here's the truth. There's room for all of us to grow. Now this word believe has often been misinterpreted as saying, well, the book of John is really written to unbelievers. That's not true. It's written to both believers and unbelievers because the word believe can be translated or continue to believe or grow in your belief. Another way to determine the purpose of this book is to look at the key words. See, this is some of the geeky things that we do in hermeneutics and all that kind of stuff. We sit around and we analyze stuff and we go through entire books and we pull out the most prominent words. I thought up until this last week in my study that to believe or believe was the most prominent word in the book of John and it's extremely prominent, 98 times. But can I tell you something? It is eclipsed only by the word to know. 138 times. So the purpose of John's gospel flows from the intimacy that John had with Jesus. He wants to provoke us to real faith in Christ, resulting in life to the fullest and eternal life forever. He wants us not just to believe, but to know. And not just to know, but believe. Belief. That's a verb. That's an action word. And so God calls us to both know him and to follow him. So today, I'm going to start us out just briefly. If you want to open up your um, scripture journal, you can. This is going to be a few minutes in the beginning of John. We're actually going to start here on, uh, well, there's no page numbers in there, but it says the gospel according to John. And we're going to start in verse 1. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not 
overcome it. Boy, I'll tell you, in so many ways, I'm looking forward to my sabbatical. Can I tell you something? I'm really jealous that I'm not going to be here going through this whole book with you folks. But, oh my gosh, this is so rich. I could spend a month of Sundays just on those four verses. But I want to point out something obvious to most Hebrews that might not be obvious to you. If you heard in the beginning, you would immediately go back to the beginning of the book. So this section of scripture mirrors Genesis 1. Yeah, Genesis 1. So you have to understand that God's creation story, John is pointing back to it and saying, you know all that creating that happened? That was Jesus. When God spoke into creation, the existence of all the things that it talks about in creation, that was Jesus going out and doing the creating. And he is pointing to the Lord Jesus as the ultimate creator of everything. By him and for him, all things were made. But let's back up a little bit. He's calling Jesus the word. You know, the spoken word has incredible power in our lives. Words biblically always point to the heart of those who speak them. That's why Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what is God saying to us here? He's saying the same thing he said in the beginning. It can be surmised in three little words. I love you. I am in control. That's four words there. But I love you. I'm in control. I created you and all that you see. I'm here for you. God's heart is a heart of love. That's why 1 John 4, 7 says this. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God has been made manifest amongst us. Listen, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be propitiation for our sins. That's payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, so we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. John starts with one of the most important things that we can know about God, that God is speaking. The question is, are we listening? Do you hear his heart through his words? His heart is always revealed through his word, and so is ours. So let me ask you a little question. Do your words to other people around you reflect the loving and creative heart of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Remember this. Loved people, love people. In Grace Fellowship Church, God loves you. And so do I. Let us accomplish his work more fully together than ever before by entering into this gospel of John in a way that is so intentional and filled with reverence and awe that six weeks, six months, six years down the road, we will not be recognizable as the people that we were. But we will be formed more fully into the image of Jesus Christ. Jesus is ready to reveal himself. He's ready to heal. Let's seek more of him. Would you be kind enough to close with me?
Oh, I forgot one thing. Got to give you homework. Here's the homework. Read John 1 through 18 and Genesis 1. I want you to apply the devotional study method as much as you feel called to, and I want you to thank God every day for the gift of his word. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you are the very word of God and that you were present in the beginning of all things. Through you and by you, all things were made and without you, nothing would have been made. In you is life, Lord, and you long for us to have your life and to have it to the fullest. You are light. Shine on us, Lord Jesus. Show us what you want us to see. Mold us and shape us. We thank you and we praise you that you shine in the darkness of places and the darkness will never overcome you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. God bless you, Grace. We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.